This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Simple Guidance from the Spirit. In the first half, Stanley A. Johnson shares his address, The Simpleness of the Way. Then in the second half, Suzanne Julian speaks on Led by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I'm definitely humbled by this opportunity to speak to you today. As you can imagine, I've lost a lot of sleep over this uh, preparation time, and when I'm done, you'll say he should have slept. Um, Nevertheless, last evening, my granddaughter in Oklahoma, Ari, called me and wished her grandpa good luck several times, and so that has helped a lot. To begin with, I feel like it's important to explain something to you. For most of my life, I grew up without a father's influence in the home. So I turned to the leaders of the church for guidance. I have read over and over again the talks given by general authorities and other leaders from a general conference and on other occasions. This council has guided me throughout my life as a father would have. And therefore, I'm going to be using uh, quite a few of uh, their remarks and quotes this morning. It was years ago when I was a young father that I went downstairs one day to our oldest son's bedroom. He was very upset and had been crying. I was there to try to give him comfort and find out what was wrong. As uh, we were talking, he confessed that he'd told a fib to his mother. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, Dad, it's so hard to be righteous. Well, this caused me to turn my head and smile because uh, he was very young. And then he said, life is like climbing over a wall, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) For a moment, I was completely stunned. And I thought, how can he have such insight? We continued to talk, but the rest of the conversation is kind of a blur. I'm hoping on my part that I, uh, in my conversation, included how the Savior makes it possible for him to repent of his fib to his mother and any other mistakes he had made. I also hope I taught him about the importance of listening and following the promptings of the Holy Ghost. In January of 1980, President Marion G. Romney, then a second counselor in the First Presidency, gave us a message called the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He stated his conditions worsen. It is apparent every day that we are on a collision course with disaster. And I am persuaded that nothing short of the guidance of the Holy Spirit can bring us through safely. He then explained a profound truth. He said, if you want to obtain and keep the guidance of the Spirit, you can do so by following a simple four-point program. One, pray. Second, study and learn the gospel. Third, live righteously. And fourth, give service in the church. President Romney then continued, If you will do these things, you will get the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and you will go through this world successfully, regardless of what the people of the world say and do. What a wonderful promise that is. Brothers and sisters, I would like to just insert again, Listen to what he said. You will go through this world successfully, regardless of what the people of the world say or do, if you can obtain and keep the guidance of the Spirit. 
Before I continue, I, I want to say that nothing happens without our Savior and Redeemer. Uh, it reminded me this morning as I was here on the stand thinking about this experience, my favorite quote ever given at a BYU devotional by President, then President Ezra Taft Benson. President Hunter later felt it was so important that he included it in a conference address. It goes something like this. That man is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master, Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. I think I need to bear witness to that before I continue in bearing witness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For it is because of Christ that all this is possible, but through the Holy Ghost we then can be guided and directed properly. So as I read these words, I recall King Benjamin's address to the Nephites and their subsequent conversion. And they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. We also know their surety because of the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil but to do good continually. It is because of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Ghost we can change. We can change completely, and we can stay changed. I remember President Benson saying, When we choose to follow Christ, we choose to be changed. We do not need to be a part of this world that is on a collision course with disaster. The key is to obtain and keep the guidance of the Spirit of the Lord with us continually. While working on my doctorate degree in 1984, I was taking a course in education. One day, my professor broke from the lecture, and he said, he asked the class, how one obtains and keeps the Spirit of the Lord. Many comments were made by members of the class, and finally, I shared what President Romney had stated in 1980. I recited the four-point program for obtaining and keeping the Spirit. When I had finished, the professor leaned against the chalkboard, looked down at the ground, and said, No, that's too simple. That's too simple. I reflected on his comments over and over again, thinking about the story of Moses in the wilderness when he raised the brazen serpent. The rebellious Israelites were bitten by the serpents, and the Lord told Moses to fashion a fiery serpent out of brass and place it upon a pole. And all who would look upon the serpent would live. The Book of Mormon carries on the narrative and explains what happened. He sent fiery flying serpents among them, and after they were bitten, he prepared a way that they might be healed. And the labor which they had to perform was to look. And because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of it, many perished. It was too simple. There you have it, brothers and sisters, too simple. Therefore, many perished. Remember, President Romney, too, spoke of the simpleness when he said, If you want to obtain and keep the Spirit, 
you can do so by following this simple four-point program. The first point is to pray. Even though the idea is simple, it requires our whole being. President Henry B. Eyring once stated, The Lord offers us the covenant to always remember Him and the warning to pray always so that we place our reliance on Him, our only safety. It is not hard to know what to do. The difficulty lies in praying always. And all this is a needed spur to try harder. The danger, he says, lies in delay and drift. Let me repeat that. The danger lies in delay and drift. Remember, it's not difficult to know what to do, but the difficulty lies in actually doing it. Years ago, Elder Gene R. Cook of the 70 presided at a state conference when I was the state president. In the Saturday adult session, he challenged everyone to prayerfully select someone who would not normally attend state conference and invite them to conference the following day. He then asked them for a raise of hands for commitment and counseled the congregation to pray themselves through the experience. He then said something I will never forget. He said, we should learn to pray ourselves through each day. Those five words, pray ourselves through each day. I remember as a stake president, he even looked at me and he said, President, learn to shake hands prayerfully. And I remember that helped me greatly as a president. He also turned to me and asked me to prayerfully select someone that I should bring to state conference the following day. I would like to share that experience with the person that was involved. As you can imagine, I immediately started to pray myself through the experience. During the uh, process, the name of one of our neighbors came into my mind. She had been through some challenges, so I thought it would be a good time to challenge her. And so Elder Cook and I walked across uh, the street, and I asked her if I could visit with her. President, she said, Do you know how many people have already been here? I said, uh, no. And she said, five, with her hands outstretched. I remember thinking, well, so much for revelation. But Elder Cook didn't miss a beat. He grabbed me by the arm and he pulled me in close and he said, ask her if we can speak to her. I did, and she invited us downstairs. As we descended down the stairs, Elder Cook turned to me and asked, Are you praying yourself through this? <laughs> I remember thinking, What do you think? <laughs> when we got down, settled down on the couch, he started to talk uh, to her eye to eye. Uh, he asked her what her maiden name was, and she told him. And then he said, Calling her by name, I know your parents uh, really well. Are you from? And he named the location. She said, yes. I know your dad. He's a stake president. Yes, she said. Elder Cook then proceeded to chasten her firmly and calling her by name again, saying, you know better. Tears flowed and commitment followed. At the beginning of the experience, I thought I had made a mistake. But the Spirit had guided us there by praying through that experience and doors and hearts were opened. I bear witness to that, brothers and sisters. We need to learn to pray ourselves through each day. Amalek stated the idea of continual prayer this way. 
Yea, when you do not cry unto the Lord, let your heart be full, drawn out in prayer unto him continually. For your welfare and also the welfare of those around you. The Savior said, Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, you must watch and pray always, lest ye enter into temptation. Notice, not enter into sin, enter into temptation. For Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Recently, our youngest daughter, who's out there somewhere, was sealed to a fine young man in the temple. And at that time, they were admonished to pray next to each other with their arms and hands intertwined. Begin and end your day, he said, by giving thanks for another day together. As many of you are at the same stage in life, how important it is to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to protect and guide you and your little kingdom. Prayer should be an important part of each and every day. Elder Bednar has said, quote, Meaningful morning prayer it is an important element in this spiritual creation of each day and precedes the temporal creation or actual execution of the day. Just as the temporal creation was linked to and a continuation of the spiritual creation, so meaningful morning and evening prayers are linked to and are a continuation of each other. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, my morning prayers have changed because of this counsel, and it has quite an effect upon me. In fact, my wife can bear witness that each morning I go in and uh, get on my knees and plan the day spiritually before I actually live it. And it has been a great blessing. Years ago, President Kimball stated, Prayer is such a privilege to speak to our Heavenly Father. It was a prayer, a very special prayer, that opened this dispensation. It began with a young man's first vocal prayer. I've found that has been a great blessing in my life, to pray vocally. Whenever I start losing direction or attention in my prayers, to pray vocally. Then he said, I hope that not too many of our own prayers are silent, even though when we cannot pray vocally, it is good to offer a prayer in our hearts and in our minds. This little bit of advice really has helped me to commune with our Father in heaven. It has enabled me to concentrate better and speak with instead of to our Heavenly Father. In this same message, President Kimball also suggested that we do some intense listening at the end of our prayers. The second point in the formula is to study and learn the gospel. As a young family, our family was growing up, like many of you, we would have scripture study in early in the morning. And that meant uh, our children were not always very alert. In fact, my oldest boy is here and he tells me that he got to hear uh, rise and shout, the cougars are out, because that's how I would wake them up. He said, I, I grew to hate that song, Dad. We sometimes wondered if anybody was listening, let alone learning. My wife and I felt a little relieved when Elder Bednar shared the following statement in general conference about his family. Quote, If you could ask our adult sons what they remember about family prayer or scripture study or family home evening, I know how they would answer. They would likely not identify a particular prayer or a specific instant of scripture study or an especially meaningful family home evening lesson. 
as the defining moment of their spiritual development. What they would say is that they remember is that as a family, you remember this? We were consistent. We were consistent. Sister Bednar and I thought helping our sons understand the content of a particular lesson or a specific scripture was the ultimate outcome, but such a result does not occur each time we study or pray or learn together. The consistency of our intent and work was perhaps the greatest lesson, a lesson we did not fully appreciate at the time. That's the end of the quote. One day, our second son came home from his early years in seminary and gave me a drawing of the plan of salvation. It was well done. He had the premortal existence, mortality, and life beyond the grave, including the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdom. He did, however, get those two reversed, I must add. He even had himself holding hands with the Redeemer in the celestial kingdom. I then asked him how he knew the plan so well, and he said, I don't know, Dad, but I want a candy bar. (laughs) (laughs) Then this really got me. He said, I was the only one in class that was able to do so. Hopefully he had learned it in family scripture study or family home evening, even though we weren't uh, sure they were learning anything at the time of uh, the events. I must state one morning we were having scripture study, and I'll never forget it. One of our boys fell off the couch, sound asleep onto the floor. <clears throat> President Ezra Taft Benson once said, When individual families and members immerse themselves in the scriptures regularly and consistently, other areas of activity will automatically come. I love it when the brethren say things like that. This will automatically happen. And then he said, testimonies will increase, commitment will be strengthened, families will be fortified, and personal revelation will flow. That just solidified in my mind the importance of scripture study. Our family needed to be fortified. Your families will need to be fortified, brothers and sisters. Testimonies will need to be increased. Personal revelation needs to flow. And I bear witness to these principles as we study the scriptures, revelation will flow. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 4.16 that the outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I love that scripture. Elder Jay Jensen once and I were traveling home. We were working on our doctorate degree, and he shared that with me, and he said, that that is of late my favorite scripture. I, I think it's become one of mine. We are renewed day by day. How important it is to renew ourselves day by day. My experience has been that personal scripture study is a powerful way to renew ourselves day by day. I would encourage you not to miss a day. In fact, Bishop McMullen once in our state conference shared something I've not forgotten. He stated, look, you read your scriptures each and every day, and some days there just isn't time. He said, then simply open the book that day and read a verse. You can do that. Just read a verse. And he said, that way you'll keep the scriptural habit going. 
I, I bear witness to that. President Boyd K. Packer once stated, when you feel weak, discouraged, depressed, or afraid, open the Book of Mormon and read. Do not let too much time pass before reading a verse, a thought, or a chapter. Brothers and sisters, make yourself familiar with the scriptures. Apply them to your own life. They should feel as comfortable in your hands as a pair of uh, well-worn tennis shoes do on your feet. I feel a real blessing in my life to be able to teach from the scriptures at this university. I know without a doubt they are true. There's power in the word. They will help us to feel the guidance of the Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. I am positive of that. I know that's true. How can we live righteously, which is the third point President Marion G. Romney presented. Repent of your sins by confessing them and forsaking them. Live righteously, it seems to me, really can be summarized in one word, repent. Nephi taught his posterity that we are saved by grace after all we can do. Well, what's all we can do? The king of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's gives us some insight in a sermon delivered to his people. Quote, And now behold, my brethren, since it has been all that we could do, as we were the most lost of all mankind to repent of our sins which we have committed, and to get God to take them away from our hearts, for it was all that we could do to repent sufficiently before God that he would take away our stain. I've got to say, inserting this, I'll never forget a talk by President Hinckley where he called the problem of pornography the world's slow stain. I thought that was an amazing metaphor, the world's slow stain. So we can have that. Blessing. Repenting really is all that we can do. President Henry B. Eyring gave a devotional talk here at Brigham Young University that had a powerful effect on me. He told of a young man who had needed to repent, had come to him when he was a bishop. After a lengthy time, Bishop Eyring had interviewed him and found him worthy to hold a temple recommend. But the young man was now going to be married in the temple to a young lady who was sweet and clean, and he needed to know if his sins had been remitted, if he had forgiveness from the Lord, not just from his bishop being cleared, but from the Lord. How could he get the revelation? Bishop Irene said it was a good question, and he needed some time. The young man gave him two weeks. During those two weeks, Bishop Irene had a family reunion that then Elder Spencer W. Kimball attended. He found Bishop Irene, and he said, Hal, I understand you haven't, you're a new bishop. Is there anything you would like to ask me? He said, I said there was, but I didn't think this is the place to talk about it. He thought it was. It was an outdoor party. This part cracks me up. My memory is that we went behind a shrub, and there we had our interview. Without breaking confidences, I outlined the concerns and the questions of the young man. Elder Kimball, I asked, how can he get the revelation? How can he know whether his sins have been remitted? I thought Elder Kimball would talk to me about fasting or prayer or listening to the still small voice, but he surprised me. Instead, he said, tell me something about the young man. I said, what would you like to know? 
He then began a series of the most simple questions. Notice how many times that word comes up. Simple questions. Does he come to priesthood meeting? I said after a moment of thought, yes. Does he come early? Yes. Does he sit down in the front? That's no reflection on you in the back, by the way. I thought for a moment, and then I realized to my amazement that he did. Does he home teach? Yes. Does he go early in the month? Yes. Does he go more than once? Yes. I've got to insert that would disqualify me there. I can't remember the other questions, but they were all like that. Little things, simple acts of obedience, of submission. And for each question, I was surprised that my answer was always yes. Yes, he wasn't just at all his meetings. He was early. He was smiling. He was not there not only with his whole heart, but with a broken heart of a little child, as he was every time the Lord asked anything of him. And after I had said yes to each of his questions, Elder Kimball looked at me and then very quietly said, There is your revelation. This is repentance, brothers and sisters, the mighty change of heart. Again, what is it that we can do? It is to repent. And this young man did, not only with his whole heart, but with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The scriptures remind us of the Savior's words. Repent, and I will receive you. Come unto me, and ye shall partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Yea, Ye shall eat and drink freely. Yea, come unto me and bring forth works of righteousness. By repenting, we are living lives of righteousness and allowing the Spirit to help us to change. The fourth point in obtaining and keeping the Spirit is service in the church. The question is, does service bring the Spirit or does the Spirit cause one to serve? The answer is yes. One day in my office at seminary, I was speaking with a student when I started to go numb down one side and then the other. For some time, I was in a semi-conscious state. When I finally regained full consciousness, some of the effects were persistent headaches where nothing seemed to help. I was the bishop of our ward at the time, and the headaches were so intense that I decided to sit down and have a talk with our stake president, President William A. Cox, who I was able to visit with last evening. I explained to him that I was experiencing extreme headaches. Even though I did not ask to be released, he knew why I was there. Finally, he leaned over the desk and said, I'm not going to release you, Bishop. He then continued, a loaded train doesn't jump the track. Well, that certainly made no sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) Fortunately, President Cox explained what he meant. He had been, for a long time, he worked at Geneva Steel controlling trains that transported the steel. He said, when a train is loaded down with freight, it will not jump the track. Only when the boxcars are empty is the train liable to leave the tracks. He then reinforced his statement that he would not release me. I did not fully understand the principle until later. As I would go to conduct interviews still with headaches, I found myself so involved in the work that I soon didn't even notice them. 
It wasn't long before they lessened in intensity, and I have now all but forgotten them. The principle in this for me was serving others brings the Spirit into our lives and helps us to remain on the straight and narrow path, especially during times of challenge and stress. Moroni lived during some very challenging times, and Mormon, his father, gave him some advice that is helpful for all of us to remember. Let us consider this scripture and how it applies in our lives. And now, my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. For if we cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform while in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. Note that his advice was much like President Cox's advice. No matter how hard it gets, just keep working and serving. Why? The blessings will come. Well, there you have it. Four ways to obtain and keep the Spirit in your lives. Prayer, gospel study, living righteously, and giving service in the church. So are we on a collision course with disaster? Yes, the world is. Must we live in fear? No. Jesus told us, be not afraid, only believe, and see that you be not troubled. As a watchman on the tower, President Mary G. Romney told us that if we have the Spirit of the Lord, we can go through this world successfully, regardless of what the people of the world say or do. That is quite a promise, and it is true. We can learn a lesson from the Israelites in the wilderness. If a prophet of God tells us that we can look upon a brazen serpent and be healed, then we can look upon a brazen serpent and be healed. If an apostle of God tells us we can obtain and keep the Spirit of the Lord by following four simple points, then we should believe it. Remember, Alma taught his son Helaman, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Brothers and sisters, I know these principles are true. I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to share them with you, and I leave this testimony with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Simple Guidance from the Spirit. We've just heard from Stanley A. Johnson. After the break, we'll return with Suzanne Julian for Led by the Spirit. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Simple Guidance from the Spirit. Next is Suzanne Julian, Instruction Coordinator for the BYU Harold B. Lee Library at the time of this address, titled Led by the Spirit. One of the first devotionals I attended at BYU was in 1979 when Elder Dallin H. Oaks was president of the university. He focused on the attitudes and commitments a student needed to succeed at BYU. President Oaks said, quote, At Brigham Young University, you are privileged to take a guided tour with the best thinkers and through the best information available in the world today. Most of you will be eager and alert, stimulated by ideas, and struggling with the exciting process of learning. 
most BYU students are busy preparing themselves for the important responsibilities that they will bear. Do so. Do not be one of that smaller but painfully visible group of students who are still struggling up the far slopes of Fool's Hill, chasing butterflies, giggling on the fringes, and pursuing the frivolous things of life while the sands of their study time at the university fall through the hourglass at their inexorable rate. These will finally leave, perhaps with a degree, hopefully with some kind of a job, but almost certainly without the education and learning that is the purpose of our mission here." At times, I was one of those students who chased butterflies. However, I did develop important skills as I attended my classes and did the required assignments. Some of the classes that I took while here at BYU and had not considered relevant to my professional life had a direct impact on my success as a librarian. For example, I was required to take a philosophy class as one of my general education requirements. I enjoyed the class but could not see any direct connection to my future plans. I remember a series of class sessions where the professor carefully instructed us about the logic outlined in a Venn diagram. I understood the concept and found it interesting, but I tucked it away in my memory and did not think about it again until years later when I began teaching students how to do research using electronic databases. One of the skills students needed to learn was how to create a search statement for an online database using the concepts found in a Venn diagram. The AND, OR, and NOT used to limit or expand a search can be illustrated with what I was taught in philosophy. From that experience and others, I have learned that sometimes I will be directed to knowledge or experiences that do not fit my current life plan. Elder Oaks gave a general conference talk in April 2001 called Focus and Priorities, where he emphasized the inspired use of information as the key to our growth in this life. He said, quote, because of modern technology, the contents of huge libraries and other data resources are at the fingertips of many of us. Available information, wisely used, is far more valuable than multiplied information allowed to lie fallow. Overarching all of this is the importance of what the Spirit whispered to us last night or this morning about our own specific needs. Each of us should be careful that the current flood of information does not occupy our time so completely that we cannot focus on and hear and heed the still small voice that is available to guide each of us with our own challenges today. Close quote. Sometimes we do not recognize the importance of the learning opportunities we encounter. President Eyring gives two examples of learning opportunities he missed because he did not realize their importance. President Eyring describes growing up in a home with a father who was born in Mexico and spoke Spanish and who was a chemist and a great teacher. Those skills were opportunities for President Eyring to learn from his father. However, he never asked his father to teach him Spanish, and he did not take advantage of times when his father wanted to show him how to solve a math problem related to his physics homework. President Eyring said, quote, He pled with me to think more often about those things that then seemed so uninteresting and so unimportant. Only later, when President Eyring was called as an apostle, did he realize that those missed opportunities to learn from his father would have been a blessing to help him in his current Church assignments. 
He counsels, quote, Your life is carefully watched over, as was mine. The Lord knows both what He will need you to do and what you will need to know. He is kind and He is all-knowing, so you can, with confidence, expect that He has prepared opportunities for you to learn in preparation for the service you will give. You will not recognize those opportunities perfectly, as I did not, but when you put the spiritual things first in your life, you will be blessed to feel directed toward certain learning and you will be motivated to work harder. You will recognize later that your power to serve was increased and you will be grateful. Nephi tells us in 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 6 that he was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which he should do. When he said this, he was trying to fulfill the commandment he had received to retrieve the plates of brass from Laban and return with them to his family. After Nephi successfully delivered the plates to Lehi, Lehi rejoiced and thanked the Lord for them. He read them and found that they contained the commandments, genealogy, and stories his family needed to know in order to stay strong during their trials. Nephi says, quote, And we had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us, and searched them, and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Close quote. Retrieving the records was not easy, and Nephi and his brothers failed twice. On the third attempt to retrieve the records, Nephi had no idea how he was going to get them, but he willingly followed where the Spirit led him, even when he was asked to do hard things to accomplish the commandment. Can you see the pattern here? We have so much information surrounding us, and it is our responsibility to seek the companionship of the Spirit so we know what information is most important. Once we receive the guidance, we obey in faith, knowing that even if we cannot see its importance now, the Lord has a purpose for the direction we receive. Second Nephi chapter 32.5 promises us that, I say unto you that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what you should do. Close quote. With this scripture in mind, I would like to contrast two stories of LDS soldiers during World War II. Carl was born in 1907. He lived with his parents and a brother in a small town near Berlin, Germany. As a teenager, Carl became interested in languages and wanted to study English and French. At 15 years old, he went to work as an apprentice in a factory that made eyeglasses. When he was 17 years old, he met two Mormon missionaries. His interest in the English language led him to take the English classes offered by the missionaries. In exchange for teaching Carl English, he had to listen to the missionaries preach the gospel. He and his mother joined the church on July 30, 1924. His father joined in August of that year, but his brother never joined the church. In 1928, Carl received a mission call to the German-Austrian mission. While serving in Basel, Switzerland, he met a young woman, Alma, and after his mission, he returned to that area to work. They fell in love, but jobs were scarce, so he returned to his hometown to start a farm with his father. Alma followed, and in December 1930, they were married. In 1940, Carl was drafted into the German army, leaving behind his wife and young daughter. In the United States, Reynolds was born on the 3rd of July, 1922. He lived in Provo and Salt Lake City, Utah, and eventually graduated from East High School. 
His father died in 1935 when Reynolds was only 13. As the only son and brother to two sisters, Reynolds felt great love and concern for his widowed mother and sisters. After high school, Reynolds enlisted in the military and was sent to the Philippines. Prior to leaving Utah, he received his patriarchal blessing. One of the promises in his blessing states that, quote, He will grow strong in the face of trial and temptation, growing strong and resisting temptation, and thereby becoming an example of righteousness, close quote. By November 1941, Reynolds was sailing towards the Philippines. In January 1942, Reynolds was writing home to his mother from Mindanao about the heavy fighting. His letters contained counsel to his family to be faithful and pray for him. Every letter his mother received expressed his love and concern for his family, including his desire to be with them. He talked about his future, especially what he wanted to eat when he got home, and what he wanted to pursue as a profession. Each of these men faced life circumstances that were challenging and overwhelming, but each held strong to their faith and found comfort in the gospel. Back in Europe, Carl's faith and prayers helped him endure hardships during the war. His constant prayer was that he would not kill anyone or be killed, but be permitted to return to his family. He described his ordeal as experiencing all the plagues. He tells of having so many lice in his uniform that when he had the chance to be near a fire, he put his coat in it to kill the pests. One of his colleagues tried that same method, but it did not go as well for him. Instead of killing the lice, the heat acted as an incubator, and the lice multiplied to an unbearable level. In May 1945, Carl learned that the war was over, but while trying to reach his home, he was captured by Russian soldiers. They sent him to a prison camp in Siberia. Lack of food, demanding work, illness, and harsh treatment by the guards took their toll on Carl's health. After eight weeks, he was so sick that his heart started to fail. He was sent to see the camp doctor who used a dirty needle to give him a shot, and within a short time, Carl had a serious infection. During his captivity, he pled with the Lord to keep him alive and strong enough to return to his family. Carl promised the Lord he would serve him for the rest of his life to the best of his ability. In October 1945, a rumor went around the camp that most of the six inmates in the prison camp would be sent back to their countries. In November, the medical staff made a list of all the men who were to be sent home immediately. Carl's name was not on that list. He called on the Lord asking for his help. He was desperate to go home because he knew he would not live much longer in the prison camp. He asked the doctor to look through the list again. It still was not there. The doctor started looking through the list for other countries and finally found Carl's name on the Hungarian list. The doctor corrected the error, and Carl was put on a train for home. The trip took two weeks. There were train cars full of prisoners returning to their homes. The prisoners were not given much food, so the strongest men would hunt for food when the train stopped. If the guards caught them, they were shot. Besides the limited food supply, it was cold. Every morning the guards would come to each train car and ask if there were any dead. Every morning there would be 10 to 12 men that had died during the night. Eventually, Carl returned home ill and emaciated. His wife and mother nursed him back to help. Carl survived the war but faced additional struggles as a church member in East Germany. Through guidance by the Spirit and protection from the Lord, he and his family escaped East Germany and eventually were led to Utah. Carl kept his promise to the Lord. He dedicated his life to the gospel professionally, spent many years working in various employment opportunities in the Church, 
Meanwhile, Reynolds was listed as a prisoner of war by the Japanese government in May 1943. His mother received two messages through the Red Cross that indicated he was alive and healthy. The few words he was allowed to write tell his mother that they were holding religious services in the prison camp and he was working in the rice fields. In a news article dated January 20, 1945, a reporter describes how an LDS group in a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines continued to live the gospel during their captivity. They held regular church meetings and cared for each other. There were about 25 Mormon soldiers in the prison camp. They took comfort from their religion and had scriptures and songbooks. One former prisoner recounted the story of a sick young man being healed by two other prisoners, a Lieutenant Brown and an Officer Perry, were the soldiers who administered to him. The Officer Perry mentioned in the article was Reynolds. In September 1944, Reynolds was put on a Japanese prison ship bound for Japan. However, just off the west coast of Mindanao in the Philippine Islands, the Japanese freighter carrying the prisoners was torpedoed and sunk. In February 1945, his mother was officially notified that Reynolds was on board the ship. His body was never recovered, but eyewitness reports say that those on the ship did not survive. When his mother received the news, she wrote the following poem. My service flag so brilliant, with its silver, red, and blue, tells of the service of my son, so young, so strong, and true. He went away all smiling in his uniform so trim, with never a sign of sorrow, but knowing war is grim. He wrote such cheerful letters, wishing he could hear from home, telling of islands far away, of the ocean's blue with its foam. O Father, I prayed, have mercy on all boys of tender age, who answered the call of country, took right across history's page. The story of war, its sorrows, its shocking atrocities, too, how many died of starvation, how many the enemy slew. Today there came a letter, the gist of its message is old. As I looked up for solace, I saw my blue star had turned to gold. Both of these men were faithful to the gospel. They prayed in faith, and they desired righteous goal. One story ends with a miraculous survival, and the other story ends with a young man who gave his life for his country. Their lives and actions match the hymn, I'll Go Where You Want Me To Go, when it says, But if by a still small voice he calls to paths that I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. Carl is my grandfather, and Reynolds is my great-uncle. Through a written history my grandfather kept, along with stories of Reynolds from my grandmother, our family has been blessed by their example of faith. One of the concluding paragraphs in Reynolds' Patriarchal Blessing sums up the power these men's stories have had on my life. It says, quote, Be humble and prayerful before the Lord, and He will never desert you. For the promise given to the faithful shall be yours, that your yoke shall be made easy and your burden light. You shall have influence with the young, for they shall watch your course in life, thereby gaining courage and hope because of the things you have accomplished and will accomplish in the future. Close quote. Others have been led by the Spirit, even when it is not easy. For example, Moses was 80 years old when he was called to lead the children of Israel. Dr. Terry Ball, professor of ancient scripture here at BYU, gave a talk at the BYU's Women Conference in 2012 entitled, I Can Do Hard Things. In this talk, he describes the fears and adequacies Moses felt after his call. He says, quote, Moses learned that our Heavenly Father is more concerned about our availability than our capabilities. As President Thomas S. Monson frequently reminds us, 
Whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. If we will make ourselves available to do God's work, He will make us capable. Each of us will have experiences where we will be prompted to follow a path that is challenging and may not make sense at first. I have met students at this university and others who have shared their testimony with me of being in comfortable circumstances and having an unexpected prompting to go back to school to pursue a degree. They have sacrificed good jobs, comfortable homes, and uprooted their families to follow the guidance they received. They did not hesitate to obey the promptings they received, even when others questioned the wisdom of their decisions. Last year, I, too, was led on an unexpected path. During Christmas break, just before the winter 2013 semester began, a colleague and I were talking in the hallway about an interesting project someone was working on. I commented that when I retired, I would love to work on a project like that. After a few follow-up questions and some offhand remarks in answer to his questions, he informed me that there was a possible project that matched my interests. I did not recognize this as an inspired opportunity until a few months later when a leave had been approved and I was scheduled to go to Vienna, Austria for six weeks to work on the project. I knew I was being led by the Spirit because I kept waiting for the feeling of terror that usually accompanies an idea that is not correct. However, I felt peace and the prompting to continue forward with the project. That whispering of the Spirit led me to Vienna, where my work strengthened my testimony and helped me recognize the guiding hand of the Lord. I was invited to enter the home of a wonderful family, Johann and Ursula Wondra. They have, through their inspired service and leadership, been instrumental in the growth of the Church in Central and Eastern Europe. They have kept personal and Church records since 1958. My role was to index the records they had so carefully preserved so that their records could be digitized. There were many obstacles to this project, but the Lord placed people at the appropriate place and time to help me succeed. First, I lacked experience, had never done a project like this before, and did not have the professional skills needed to complete my part of the project. Through the expert teaching and mentorship of Matt Heiss at the Church History Library, I was able to learn enough to do the work. The second challenge was that I did not speak German. I had a mother and grandparents that spoke German, and I had taken classes in high school and college but I had forgotten everything. However, there were many kind people who spoke English when I needed help. The final obstacle, and the one that turned my heart to complete trust in the Lord, was that I was going alone to a country I did not know and that I would need to take care of my basic living arrangements such as housing, food, and transportation. In preparing for the trip, I found an apartment on the Internet that turned out to be in a safe location and near grocery stores and public transportation. I can testify when that the Spirit prompts us and we are obedient, the Lord provides the blessings we need. I spent six miraculous weeks working on this project with the Wondra family. They opened their records, their homes, and their hearts to me. They taught me about faith and commitment to the gospel no matter what the struggles and challenges. Their example and instruction sustained me through my own struggles and my feelings of inadequacy. Prior to leaving for Vienna, I was prompted to extend my stay in Europe by one week and fly to Berlin, Germany, to help my mother with some family history work. She was seeking out Carl's grandparents. She had faithfully searched for many years with the hope of extending her family connections. Before I left for Berlin, I knew that I would be facing impossible odds of helping my mother find records of her ancestors. I again faced what I thought were insurmountable odds at success. I did not speak German. Many of her ancestors came from small villages where records would not be easily accessible, and I had absolutely no idea where to go to find the records. 
As I prayed and fasted, I told the Lord that He had chosen the weakest person possible to accomplish such a great task, and that if anything came of it, it would be because of Him and not because of me. After a few days of trying to figure out the public transportation system, I located a family history center in Berlin. A wonderful consultant in the center rescued me. She did not speak English, and my horrible German led us to do some amusing charades as we tried to create a shared understanding of my need. In the end, she and a colleague directed me to an archive of records that were available in Berlin. By the time I was able to access the records in the Berlin archive, I only had two days before I left the country to return home. Again, the Lord provided me with the knowledge and people I needed to accomplish the work. When I was lost, someone or something would guide me to the correct spot, and when I located the archive, I was blessed to have a librarian who spoke English and who was kind enough to allow me to enter the library without an appointment. His kindness and help were exactly what I needed at that time. After locating the microfiche for the town where my ancestors had lived, I had about six hours before the archive closed. As I scanned the records, I felt an indescribable joy the first time I recognized the family name. Still, it was not the exact record I needed. I left the archive that Monday discouraged because while I found interesting information, I did not find the vital records we needed. Getting into the archives a second day seemed like an impossibility. I had already asked the librarian if I could make an appointment to come the next day, but he had told me there weren't any seats available. I prayed fervently, and even though there was technically no room for me in the archives, the librarian found an opening and let me into the archive to work on my last day in Berlin. That day, I found the grandfather my mother had been searching for. I left with the knowledge that the Lord recognized my mother's hard work and faith in trying to serve her ancestors. I was humbled when I realized that the Lord had taken the weakest person He could find and made me strong enough to accomplish His work. Just as I was successful in accomplishing a hard task through the guidance of the Spirit and people placed in my path to help me, I know that you too can succeed with the seemingly impossible tasks you are given. If we are obedient to the promptings of the Spirit, we will be led to the knowledge we need to succeed and accomplish hard things. In the last General Conference, President Uchtdorf taught, quote, We acknowledge that your path will at times be difficult, but I give you this promise in the name of the Lord. Rise up and follow in the footsteps of our Redeemer and Savior, and one day you will look back and be filled with eternal gratitude that you chose to trust the Atonement and its power to lift you up and give you strength no matter how many times you have slipped or fallen. Rise up. Your destiny is a glorious one. Stand tall and walk in the light of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. You are stronger than you realize. You are more capable than you can imagine. Close quote. Others may not understand the struggles you are going through or may try to discourage you from a path you are inspired to take, but I bear testimony that we are not left alone, and even when the path is challenging and difficult, the Lord will guide and bless us. Our faith and His love will help us succeed when the hard things we are asked to do seem impossible. I testify that Jesus is the Christ and that this is His Church, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Simple Guidance from the Spirit, with thoughts from Stanley A. Johnson and Suzanne Julian. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. 
Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.